of uh, Sakaris and Price fame. He's a hometown boy. We love bringing him on here. Spent many years working in this uh, fine community as well. So out west we go. We welcome in Matt on the Gabriel Pizza Hotline. Matt, good morning. How are you? Good, good morning, Steve. How are you? Outstanding. Uh, always enjoy having you on. So AJ is co-hosting today. You know, we're here. Should, should we talk some old school renegades and you know, yeah. things of that nature? Share some horror stories? Oh, my. It, it's funny. Uh, when that report came out last week that maybe Atlanta was in line for a, a third NHL team, my, uh, one of my colleagues here turned to me and said, what city deserves three chances in the same league? <laughs> <laughs> I went, oh, well, I can think of one successful example. There you go. Um, hey. Great to hear your voice, too, AJ. Versace Hello, Matt. Versace keeps ducking me, huh? Versace keeps ducking me. The last time you had CJ in there, Steve, and now uh, AJ. Does Lee work anymore, or does he just post the Instagram? The toes in the sand photos from Florida. Drinking his uh, guava beers. Oh. oh, man. We could do the whole thing ripping Lee, but we, we yeah, actually we want to talk about some other things. We could. <laughs> All we right. Could. Uh, I, I know you got some thoughts here. You, you track the Senators yeah. uh, still, so we'll, 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 we'll get to that in a bit. So let's start, though, because um, tell us about the Rick Tockett effect. Um, you know, yeah. he was very harsh on the team publicly, so I'm, I'm assuming privately as well in the beginning. Yep. But, you know, they're, they, they're playing well for him right now. Yeah, uh, he was very harsh publicly, and he, he, he continues to be not quite as much, and that's because they're playing a little bit more of this style of hockey that Rick Tockett wants to see. This this team was a mess, guys, like just an utter mess, especially defensively. Guys cheating for their offense. It was a very loose environment under former head coach Bruce Boudreaux. So Rick Tockett came in, you know, much like the truculent player he was, and basically kicked some asses and took some names. And, you know, he's, he's sat down guys, he's benched guys, he's been publicly critical of guys. He has had some loud, sort of unconventional practices. Uh, but it's all about, you know, shaping a, a team identity, being tougher to play against, and, you know, having an opportunity to win some of the lower-scoring games. Fellas, they played their first 2-1 hockey game of the season just last week. The mm. first time they went two straight games allowing three or fewer goals was just last week. So, And their team save percentage continues to hover around the worst since the statistic has been kept going back to the mid-90s. I think there's like an expansion-era San Jose Sharks team that has a worse team save percentage than this year's Canucks and, and their penalty kill continues to track to be one of the worst of all time as well so it, it's really been a free-for-all for the opposition particularly here at Rogers Arena when it comes to scoring goals and and over the last month since Rick Tockett has taken over they've been a whole lot better on that score yeah speaking of the goaltending what do you make of Thatcher Demko and some of the rumors that he might be available because you know in watching him the last few years I i look at one of the best young goalies in the National Hockey League. What's happened yeah. this year? Uh, he got off to a terrible start. I mean, the team in front of him played poorly, but, you know, one of the things that we had become accustomed to with Thatcher Demko and, and really Jacob Marchman before that is great goaltending covering up for poor defensive play in front. And, you know, Thatcher Demko was that guy. He was one of those guys that you sort of said, oh, he's, he's almost better facing 37, 38 shots than he is facing 23 or 24. Um, he wasn't that guy in the early going. Then he got hurt, missed way more time than we all suspected. And really, since he's come back here over the last couple of weeks, fellas, 
there have been no warts on him. Like every single start has been pretty good, pretty competitive. Even even the starts uh, where he's given up more goals, gave up four goals against Dallas, but was really good uh, in that hockey game as the Canucks got an overtime win. And that's the other story that's emerged here is is they're playing these close games, so they're going to overtimes and they're going to shootouts, and and we're seeing some extra bonus hockey and some excitement on the back end. So. Yeah, no, in terms of the rumors, you know, I think you just saw a struggling goaltender and some predatory teams calling to see if Vancouver was so ticked off, this this management team, that they'd be willing to, to move some of their core pieces. But, you know, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin, since they took over here last year, have been steadfast. And, you know, they feel like they have the franchise cup-winning goaltender. He's on a great contract, fellas, just $5 million per for the next few years. So he's regaining his form here. I really do think it was much to do about nothing. I think it was the Kings and some other desperate goaltending teams who were hoping he was available, but I don't think he is, in fact, quite available. I mean, you know, there's always the caveat of somebody knocks your socks off, but uh, I would think it would take an incredible uh, offer for the Canucks to consider trading Demko in the summer. Well, well, we do know, Matt, speaking with Matt Sakaris, that uh, Jim Rutherford had used the term major surgery That's uh, a few times, yeah. right? So they able to do some things. Well, notably, it was pretty significant to move on from Bo Horvat and couldn't get a deal done. Um, do you not think, and I, I think we all know the answer to this, and the answer is yes, making the coaching change when they did. It's like, all right, we want to have a bit of a change of culture here, but it's also going to be who's in, who's out, who who are we really going to focus on maybe to try to move on from? And you might have to, you know, swallow hard on this, whether you're eating money, attaching something for a few guys. How much yeah. of this stretch is just about that? Let's figure it out here because we're going to have to make some hard calls yeah. this summer, uh, financially, that is. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely right, Steve. Now, he's trying to run a very narrow channel, Rutherford is. He's talked about how the team needs major surgery, but, oh, this isn't a rebuild, this is a retool and even scoffed at a reporter who offered a three-year timeline to competitiveness or to contention. So they feel like they can turn this around quickly without having to rebuild yet while still performing major surgery. So you're going to have to help all of us out on what that exactly entails because we're uh, we're a little confused <laughs> by that here in Vancouver. It seems like a mixed metaphor at the very least. But, yeah, Rick Hockett has said many, many times here now that this is less about results, and this is more about process between now and the end of the year. They know they're not going to the playoffs. There are no fantasies here. So they are able to um, coach the team and play with a, uh, a different mindset and with a different eye. And you're quite right. Some of this will be about weeding out players. And, and one of the ones that we saw weeded out is former former Ottawa Senator Curtis Lazar, who is just a fabulous person, as you all know, and anyone around the Senator's would know he's a Vernon British Columbia boy. He was brought home on a three-year contract here to be a, a fourth line, hopefully center and penalty killer. And uh, wasn't able to hold down those jobs. Wasn't able to uh, contribute enough offensively. And so they moved him on to New Jersey last week at the trade deadline. And, and I would suspect, and the Canucks were quite active at the trade deadline on some deals that didn't go down with Brock Besser, with JT Miller, with Connor Garland. I, I would suspect that a lot of that quote-unquote major surgery is going to take place this summer. What's been the difference again with Elias Pettersson? Because when you watched him his first couple of seasons, he looked like a superstar in the making, especially in the bubble yeah. in Edmonton. And then a couple of seasons where it felt like he had plateaued, but he's back to yeah. – 
being that guy, eighth in scoring in the league with 81 points? Well, development isn't always linear, now is it? And you're quite right, AJ. When he burst on the scene, I think it was 10 goals in his first 10 games or something crazy like that, uh, we were sitting there thinking, like, we have the next coming here. Um, he has been sensational this year. Back to the guy that we remember. Now, some of the last couple of years was injury. You know, Some of it is just, this is a basket case franchise. Like, this franchise gets a whole lot wrong. You know, so whether it was multiple COVID outbreaks, he got hurt himself, coaching changes, uh, things of that order. Um, there has been a, a, a lot to get you sidetracked and distracted with these Vancouver Canucks over the last few years. So, yeah, he's back to being the player that we all thought he would turn into. Uh, he's, uh, I believe he's a point shy of 82, so he's going to be a point-per-game player this year. Um, not to mention he's got an outside shot at, at, at 100 points still. So he has turned into the true franchise two-way centerman that he looked like in his in his younger years. And, and you know, it's scary to think where the Vancouver Canucks would be if he hadn't emerged like this, if Quinn Hughes wasn't, you know, on 61 points uh, as a defenseman, if the rookie winger Andre Kuzmenko wasn't at, at 30 goals. Uh, you know, this team has some top-end talent guys it's a poorly constructed roster and they are far from being sort of a uh, a contender in heck they're they're even away from being a playoff team um but the high end of this roster can give you some highlights and Elias Pettersson is is at the front of that line all right so as the uh, Senators arrive and we'll play the Canucks tomorrow night if Sens fans haven't been paying attention the Canucks are playing better uh th- this should this should be uh uh, a yeah. good one to, uh, tomorrow evening here. So let's pivot over they won to three in a row, Steve. I mean, yeah. they hadn't won two in a row since Christmas. So you know, <laughs> there you three go. Three in a row counts as a big winning streak out here on the West Coast. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, it's uh, it was a big win for Ottawa last night in Seattle. It's not like you look at the standings; it, it's not going to be a walk in the park. So it should be a good one tomorrow night, uh, tomorrow. So um, it's been a long haul here, as you know. I know you observe, Matt. Um, yeah. The Senators and their fans are enjoying an actual, real, not a fantasy playoff push for the first time in six years. Uh, that was a big win last night here, and you know this fan base well, having covered it. You grew up here. You know what? What's your observation uh, from BC well, on what's going on here? Uh, I gotta say, uh, so it's uh, during the five-game winning streak. I had some friends messaging me like, "Oh, it's 2015 again, Hamburglar! Here we come!" Um, and you know, needless to say, uh, it, it's hearkening some of that. Uh, I, I got to say, boy, you know, the Senators in second half runs over their history. It's been a thing. huh? And uh, we were talking here in the in the studio the other day that we really hope that Ottawa and Buffalo get in, in the East. They're young and fun. And, you know, Pittsburgh and the Islanders are kind of older and staler. Although I got to say this, like hats off to Lou Lamorello and Bo Horvat on the island there. They are 10-3-3 since the trade. Guys, they're 6-1-1 one one since Matthew Barzell left the lineup. And they're 3-0 without former Ottawa Senators Jean-Gabriel Pajot. And, you know, Burzell was playing in the middle. Pajot was their most used centerman face-off-wise. Um, so they have really, really persevered here with some tough injuries. And they may be uh, a heck of a tough out given their goaltender when it's all said and done. But, um, you know, not only the 2015 run with Hamburglar uh, comes to mind, but, uh, you know, Lloydie, You'll remember 20 years ago. God, I'm having so many flashbacks to 20 years ago uh, when I was at the Ottawa Citizen and covering the bankruptcy and then sale 
uh, of the team ultimately to Eugene Melnick. In fact, I, I think it was around 20 years ago this week or within a couple of weeks that we, we it, first it was just ahead of the playoffs where it became official. Yeah, right. Like where we where we first heard the name Eugene Melnick, guys. And and look, I, I'm not going to defend what happened. You know, uh, in the latter years of his stewardship of the Senators, it, it was wrong and it went on for too long. But 20 years ago, he was that white knight riding to the rescue, right? I mean, we had become accustomed to franchise re- relocations from Canada to the United States, the Nordiques to Denver, the Jets to Phoenix. And that was a very real possibility for the Ottawa Senators. I, ca- I can remember being at my cubicle at the Citizen when a story crossed the wire, and it was at night, too. I mean, it was like straight out of a Hollywood strip. You know, it was a Reuters story that said an unnamed Canadian businessman was interested in buying the Ottawa Senators. And it was written by Roger Lajoie, the Fan 590 radio well, man. Which, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we later learned that it's because he works for the St. Mike's uh, majors of the OHL, which Eugene owned. So he had the inside scoop. And uh, lo and behold, uh, Melnick rose uh, rose to the occasion. How about the sweetheart deal he got? One hundred and thirty million dollars for the team and the arena, guys. Because and the land, you know, yeah, all of it. Yeah, and, well, because as you remember, the arena was under bankruptcy protection as well. It was owned by Covanta Energy Corporation, which mm-hmm. you know I guess got so big in energy that they decided let's just go buy and run arenas because. That's what energy corporations do. <laughs> um, so you had a bankrupt entity owning the then Corel Center. You had Rod Bryden's bankruptcy on the team itself, and uh, here came Melnick. And uh, guys, they you know the crazy part about that was they won the President's Trophy that year while being run by a bankruptcy trustee and made it to Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. So I, I'm reading all these headlines from Boo and whatnot about how the you know, the bidding process here is winnowing and and the Ottawa Senators are going to get a new owner. And uh, I can't I can't help but having flashbacks to 20 years ago. It, it was really the story that I cut my teeth on as a Cub reporter. And, and it was really a seminal moment uh, for hockey in Ottawa, because let's face it, you know, Melnick did save the franchise there without him stepping up. I'm not sure the Senators are in Ottawa today. So you're an Ottawa guy with, uh, with with Vancouver and Ottawa roots. Uh, there's another Ottawa Vancouver roots guy in Ryan Reynolds. What do you make about uh, yeah his links to ownership here in Ottawa and the Senators? Well, I mean, I think it's tremendous for the team and for the league because he certainly has a following and a fan base, and it seems he really knows how to how to communicate with people and how to bring people to the campfire. So I think he's a a tremendous addition. I, I was pleased to see that, you know, the NHL wanted to get him uh, involved in, in this, with this one way or the other, no matter which group. Uh, you guys will have to educate me. You know, did the NHL place him with the Remington group? Did he do that on his own accord? Does that make them the favorite? Um, you know, I'll, I'll let you guys uh, tell that story. But, yeah, no, Ryan Reynolds um, has a huge presence here. I mean, even his Twitter handle is still uh, Van City Reynolds. So um, he's a proud citizen of Vancouver. We see, we see him from time to time because he does do movies up here. So, uh, And I think he'd be a, an incredible addition uh, from a public profile and celebrity point of view for the league and well, for the team. 
I was just going to say this Van City Reynolds, like you know, maybe that's that's all we stood for Vanier. It's it's been it's been ah. right over all of us all these years. Hey, maybe that's what right. it's really about. That's where he lived right. when he lived here as a child as well. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, before we let you go, uh, we got the breaking mm-hmm. news from Montreal, and you've covered the CFL a long time. What do you make of uh, uh, Pierre Carl Pelado of Quebec? Or it's official now. Uh, he is a new yeah. owner of the Montreal Alouettes. Well, I, I, I think that should be a good thing. I mean, he's got incredibly deep pockets and is involved in, in media in the province of Quebec. So, you know, I was really disappointed to see what happened with that last ownership group because it seemed like there was a little bit of momentum coming back. Uh, you know, boy, 20 years ago, uh, covering the CFL for the Citizen, going into Montreal was such a blast. I mean, great ownership with Bob Wettenhall. Uh, of course, you know, the flamboyant rebel himself, Don Matthews, as the, as the head coach, Jim Pop, who turned out to be one of the great general managers in the league. And, of course, Anthony Calvillo, you can argue, uh, you know, the all-time passer and, and one of the great players. So uh, terrific to see them getting a, more of a, a toehold, a foothold. Uh, it is a fun rivalry between Ottawa and Montreal and football going going way, way back. So uh, I, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm pleased to see that. And... Uh, I gotta say, I'm gonna watch the Senators with interest here uh, over the final quarter, final quarter of the season. Um, you know, I I looked back today uh, to the '97 run they did, where they won seven of the last nine, and of course, won nothing in the final game with Steve Duchesne scoring the great goal against Dominic Hasek and uh, voice with the doo 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 Shane call. <laughs> yep, legendary. Uh, day, which I'm sure you can appreciate. So. Yeah, um, you know, that comes to mind. And uh, like I said, even even at 03 run of the finals, like I can still see that game seven goal from the Devils clear in my mind. Uh, former 67 Grant Marshall down the left wing. And for some reason, Redden and Rakunic both go to him and leave Jeff Friesen in front and, and the Devils score and win that game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. So. Um, there have been a lot of late-season runs in Senators' histories, including into and through some of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I think it would be such a fun story if we were looking at, at that again this year with, I presume, a new owner at some point too, right? Like Just like Melnick 20 years ago, taking over the team at some point in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I got one more for you, just because I know how passionate you are about football and the Canadian Football League. What do you make of this news that – Sounds like Halifax isn't dead, and the Atlantic Schooners might uh, consider a pop-up stadium uh, to to become the tenth CFL team. Well, I have long said that I, I I thought the priority for Randy Ambrosi should have been a ten franchise in Halifax or Atlantic Canada. Uh, you know, as as they were going out, and, and look, I, I understand why they had a global uh, stra- a strategy. Um, there's a big wide world out there, and if you get even a tiny sliver of them paying attention to the Canadian Football League, that could be a, a significant number of people and revenue streams that didn't previously exist. I, I, I'm all for trying to um, get more of the American audience uh, watching the Canadian Football League, and, and the ratings are actually pretty good uh, when CFL games run down south in the summer. But, you know, for me, the next frontier was to truly make it a, a coast-to-coast league to get to 10 teams in a round number because, A.J., we have this dreadful schedule now where not every Eastern team comes out here to Vancouver. The Lions don't go to every Eastern city, and I just I don't know how they've, they've come up with that schedule in a nine-team league. And, of course, we saw how the Red Blacks and how the fans in Ottawa re-energized the CFL 
10 years ago when they came back in. Um, you know, and, and needless to say, the ownership group there has done a, a, a tremendous job uh, of marketing and creating, you know, uh, an experience down there at, at the park. So I, I, I sure hope that Halifax gets a team. Uh, I, I think it would be a, a wonderful and long overdue achievement for the Canadian Football League. And I think it can give it a, a nice shot of juice here because I think a lot of us uh, would be uh, really fascinated to follow that team. And, you know, needless to say, from a, a BC and Vancouver perspective, we don't have a geographic rival for Labor Day, right? Like Ottawa plays Montreal. You got the Banjo Bowl. You got the Battles of Alberta and, and, and uh, Ontario. You know, that's the next one, the coast to coast, the East versus West Labor Day Classic with the Lions and the Halifax team. So, yeah, I, I'm pulling for it. I'm rooting for it hard. I think it would be an amazing, an amazing development for the league. You just want to go party in Halifax. That's okay. Who you doesn't? Admit it. Who doesn't? Who exactly. Doesn't? Take a number, okay? Have you Take a ever number been to the Split Crow? Have you ever been to the pier <laughs> down there in Halifax? Maybe the best pound for pound party city in the country. Nope. Although I think St. John's probably has a uh, has a claim to some of that as well. I'd be okay with a Grey Cup there. Oh, <laughs> could you imagine? I mean, and we see the Atlantic fans, AJ, and we worked yeah. Grey Cup Radio a number of years together. You know, you see the Atlantic fans each and every year at Grey Cup, uh, including, you know, the Atlantic Schooner. They had one time had a, a van that they would drive to Grey Cup and still fly the flag and still promote uh, a team uh, for their region. So, yeah, no, uh, be an incredible Grey Cup um, site. Heck, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it does pretty well in hosting sports events. Uh, when you think of World Juniors and World Championships that have been there. And if I can just shout out both the men's and the ladies, Carlton yeah, Raiders basketball team. Good segue. Socha as we speak in the, the ladies' international semifinal today. And then, of course, uh, the men going for yet another title there in Halifax. The ladies up in Cape Breton. So go Ravens. All right. Well, uh, one's underway right now, uh, isn't it, the uh... So, yeah, the Ravens are playing right now. St. Mary. Uh, yeah, they're in, playing uh, St. Yeah. Mary's. Yeah. In there the you go. And, yeah. and then University of Ottawa coming up at uh, 1 this afternoon as well. Matt, uh, we could go on and on. Uh, we'll, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll end it there, but you promised me. Now you got to spin this around. You start ducking Lee, okay? okay? Let's get spiteful with this thing, okay? You only come on with me or AJ, no Lee. <laughs> okay. All right. All so right. The next time you guys ask, I go, well, is Versage co-hosting? Because if he is, I'm afraid I can't make it. Please do. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. All the best, fellas. Be well.